could be as simple as you and some friends around a dining table, um, just engaging with some of the alpha material, discussing it. Or it could be you being slightly more creative and and thinking of some way where you could do a a course and, and that would engage your friends and colleagues and various people. And so the challenge is, is that can we all think of five people to invite, okay? Um, and if we can, um, then collectively as a church, we could, we could invite about 450 people to that Alpha launch party. And um, not all of them will show up, I know. Uh, but what if two of them did? You know, um, we, could, we could see uh, a number of people engage with Alpha this autumn term, which we are really looking forward to. So we are in the midst of a series in the book of Acts, and um, we're going to be there right through the summer. Uh, well, you are. I won't be. Um, I've got four Sundays left, you see, uh, and I'm not counting or anything. Tammy has got an app on her phone, and apparently it's 33 days. Uh, not that I looked this morning. Um, but um, this series is going to carry on in our absence whilst we're on sabbatical, and um, you're going to have a team of different people uh, continue this series. But this morning, we're in Acts chapter 3. Um, so if you want to dive in there, we will get stuck in. As we've been saying, the book of Acts is like a plotted history, if you like, of the church. It's, um, it's the story of how the church got started. And um, as we've looked at in the first two chapters, there's a number of things taking place. First of all, Jesus is alive. He's in his resurrected body. And he engages with his first followers. And he instructs them about the kingdom of God. And he he gives them, um, if you like, a little bit of information of what to expect. And so um, Jesus is is teaching his disciples, and after 40 days, he ascends into heaven. And as a result of him ascending into heaven, um, the Holy Spirit is given um, to the disciples. And so we looked um, a few weeks ago at this 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 scene, or well, it might have been last week, I can't remember, um, this scene of like 120 disciples all crammed in a room, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And something changes as a result. And as we've been saying over the course of this series, because of the events of this book, because of what's documented here, you and I and thousands of other people like us get to be in rooms like this and perhaps more grander, grander rooms and church buildings because, because of what took place here. And so there is this sense that the church is this unstoppable force. Um, that um, There's nothing that stops the church in its existence. Have we got some slides? No. It's called Unstoppable Four. You will have to find it. It's really important to have slides today. Um, <laughs> um, and so, um, this, the church is this unstoppable force that through generation to generation has continued. Nothing has stopped the church. No matter what has come against it, um, no matter whether it's been in a season of success or season of decline, the church has always uh, always continued. 
And so um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, and I'm going to try and get through the first 10 verses this morning. So we'll just, we'll just read and make some comments as we go along, if that's okay. So it says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at, at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So we kind of get a, a glimpse of these disciples who have, who have experienced the Holy, Holy Spirit. They've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we kind of get a picture of them going into the real world. You know, we've, we've seen them in their holy huddles. We've seen them gathered together as disciples. But now we're seeing them dispersed. They're scattered uh, into the, the community around them. So they're going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. It says, uh, verse 2, Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now around the time that the book of Acts was written, there was a sort of Roman Jewish historian, a guy called Josephus. He's quite famous. Some of you might have heard of him. Um, but Josephus, in one of his works, he makes reference to this, this particular gate. And um, he, he says this, he says it was made of Corinthian brass and it required 20 full-grown men to move it. So this is a, like a huge, heavy gate. And it's the scene of uh, what we're going to talk about this morning. So now this... This man that Peter and John, they encounter, uh, we, we learn in the next chapter, he's about 40, 40 years of age. And um, I think he was probably well known. He was well known for being the guy who begged at this huge gate to the temple courts. People knew him. And as I say, this, this passage really represents a shift, a shift that's taken place since the coming of the Holy Spirit and then the powering of the church. And so up until this point, the presence of God and the the movement of God was confined to the temple, wasn't it? It was confined to a holy place. But what we see here is God's presence is breaking out into, into the marketplace. Um, it's breaking out outside the gates of the temple. Um, N.T. Wright, he says this, the demonstration of the power of Jesus' name took place not in the temple, but outside the gates. God is on the move, no longer confined to within institutions, but breaking out into the new worlds. And so we, we see that in this instance, the presence of God is no longer contained. The presence of God is upon all believers, and they get to carry that presence wherever they go. They get to carry the kingdom wherever they find themselves. And so verse, verse 3, it says this, When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. I'm pretty sure we've all encountered someone asking for money. You know, we've all, we've all had that experience, haven't we? Maybe, 
you know, someone, a homeless person or someone on the streets who looks homeless or, you know, disadvantaged in some way, we've all experienced them asking for spare change. And, and my, my point is, is that it's a, it's a fairly common occurrence, isn't it? If you, if you go into town, you, you probably see that happening, even if it doesn't happen to you. And the crazy thing is, is that this was written 2,000 years ago, and things don't seem that dissimilar, do they? Um, they don't seem to have, have changed that much. Um, that 2,000 years ago, there were people on the streets asking for spare change. Now, this guy was lame, and if you're under 25, that doesn't mean to say he didn't wear skinny jeans, okay? It means he was handicapped in some way. He, he, uh, it was a physical, it was a physical condition. And um, actually, um, you know, often the Bible talks about people being paralyzed, doesn't it? And they bring the paralyzed to Jesus, and Jesus heals them. But it, it kind of kind of says that this guy was lame. And so there's a, there's a slight difference in, in what's going on, in that to be lame, he probably wasn't totally immobile, okay? He, he probably had some movement, even though he was in pain or, or suffering in, in some way. Now, it's interesting to think that this guy begging for money is in pain. He's in pain. He's in physical pain. You know, whenever we see people begging on the streets, more often than not, they're in pain too. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. You know, and that probably everyone, or nearly everyone that we could encounter in that kind of circumstance is experiencing some level of pain. I don't imagine that someone who finds themselves on the streets begging for money, you know, aspired to that as a child. You know, they didn't think, oh, one day I'm going to be a beggar. You know, I imagine as children, they had dreams like you and me. I'm going to be a policeman. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to do these amazing things. I imagine they had similar dreams to the rest of us. The only difference was that something happened, some series of circumstances took place in that individual's life which changed the course forever. And all of a sudden they find themselves begging on the streets. And so I'm, I'm, I'm conscious that behind every person we may encounter in this way, there is often a story of pain. It could be physical pain, but it could be emotional pain. It could be relational pain. It could be a breakdown of relationships somewhere where, where a, a, a parent or authority figure has overstepped the line. There's been abuse. There's been, a, um, uh, there's been mistrust, which leads people into these circumstances. Maybe it's, it's physical pain. Maybe it's financial pain. But whatever it is, people, fight, people who are in those positions, you know, they didn't aspire to that. That wasn't their goal. And often it's driven from a place of pain. So everyone we encounter 
in some way, I would say, and maybe you could chat to some of the guys who do the soup run, but nearly everyone in that kind of position is experiencing pain of some kind. And in verse 4, it says this, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now, there's some challenging words here. There's some really challenging words, or at least some challenging imagery. What do you think about the last time you saw somebody in a similar position to this guy? And maybe you were on your lunch break and you were busy, you were rushing, and you maybe you needed to get something in town or from a shop or, or something like that. And um, as you go about in your busyness, a homeless person shouts, have you got any change? Now, if you're anything like me, the easy thing to do is what? To kind of look the other way and pretend you didn't hear. Anybody, anybody else want to confess to, to doing that? You're all too spiritual. Wow. <laughs> Man, spot the Pharisee. Um, but the, there is this temptation, isn't there, in the busyness and the throes of life that we, we look the other way and we pretend not to hear. We avoid eye contact. Because if we make eye contact, then we give some intention that we're going to respond. So it's easy just to look the other way. Now, I'm sure many of you have responded, and um, you're not as bad as me. Um, and I'm sure some of you responded just, even if it's to say, sorry, I can't help you. Um, but you have taken the time to respond. Um, but it is easier, isn't it, sometimes, to just look the other way. Just pretend I didn't hear to pretend that it wasn't there. It's just, I'm just going to, no, I don't want to buy your big issue, you know. And um, you kind of just set, set your eyes in front of you. Now, the guy in this story is in a position where he can't look people in the eyes either. He's discouraged, he's despondent. So he is also avoiding eye contact. Maybe you've seen some people like that begging on our streets. You know, they, they have a bit of cardboard with homeless on or something like that, and they can't even raise their head. They just sit there with their heads down, begging, asking for help. And that's what this guy is like at this temple gate. And so Peter and John look at him, and they say, hey, look at us. Look at us. And can you imagine how this discouraged, lame, 40-year-old man who's every day on the streets begging for money felt when someone said, hey, look at me. Look at me. And then when, when he looks, he sees two men full of the Holy Spirit. See these two men who are 
overflowing with passion for Jesus. You see, in this moment, Peter and John restore this man's dignity. They restore his dignity. They remind him what it feels like to be human again. They remind him that actually you're a person. You're a person who counts. And for once he's treated like a human being. He's treated like the person he's created to be. That he's, he's created to be a person made in the image of God. He's a child of God. Now, it doesn't even have to be a homeless person, does it? Think about last time you went to a supermarket and you went through the checkout and the person on the checkout just scanned all your food and they never looked up once. Just a bit downtrodden, a bit downcast. Can't, you know, they can't even lift their, their heads. What an amazing opportunity we have. That we have this opportunity to make people feel like human beings again. What would it mean if a whole army of people went out from here with the goal to restore people's humanity and dignity? What would that begin to look like? What if wherever we went, we chose to look people in the eye and say, you're worth something. You know, who you are is really important to God. What if we was to, you know, people in the service industry, they, they're the ones that seem to get the less, least credit. What, what if the next time your postman is in your street or next time you see someone picking up litter, you were the person who went to them and said, hey, you know what, you probably don't get this told this often, but you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. You're, you're worth something. What you're doing means our society ticks over. What would it mean for a whole bunch of people to go and do that? To restore dignity, to restore humanity to every single person. So maybe that's the first challenge today. Is, is to go from here and think about, do you see the people who surround you? Do you actually see them? And, 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 and maybe this week you could just choose to have eyes to see some of those people, whether it's in the supermarket, whether it's in your office, whether it's your next-door neighbour, wh- whatever it might be, but ch- you just choose to see those that are downcast, downtrodden. And you become the person who makes them feel human again. I reckon that could be transformative, couldn't it? If just a hundred or so people from here chose to do that, that could have a transforming effect. Verse 6, it says, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now Luke, the cursing writing, 
the book of Acts is a doctor. So he kind of points out the, the very thing that is healed. But there's this, this, this climactic moment. This guy, uh, Peter, delivers this killer line, doesn't he? You know, I, I wish I had lines like that up my sleeve. And I did, did he rehearse that line? You know, did he think, next time I see a beggar, I'm going to say this. Um, <laughs> Um, maybe he did. I probably, he probably didn't. I've just committed heresy. But um, um, it probably was the unction of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so, the, you know, he follows the leading of the Holy Spirit. He comes out with this amazing line, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. And you see, Peter and John are doing exactly what Jesus said the disciples would do, that they would go into the whole world and go and touch the lives of people, that, that, that we often talk about being a church that's joining God in the renewal of all things. And, and part of that process of um, joining God in everything that he's doing is healing the sick, is, is laying our hands on the sick and seeing them get well. And we all get to do that. We all get to play at that. We all get to have a go at doing that. And so this big dramatic event takes place. But without kind of diminishing what has taken place for this guy, he's healed, he's physically healed, he's made well. I think there's something else in the text that speaks about how we're called to respond to the needs of the poor and, and the disadvantaged uh, in in our communities. We often talk about two different ways of addressing need, don't we? We talk about a hand out and a hand up. Now, the guy in this story, he turns to Peter uh, and John and he expects a hand out. But what he actually receives is a hand up. And it's true in every sense of the passage, isn't it? It says, silver and gold I do not have. In other words, I'm not going to give you a handout. I'm not going to give you a handout. Instead, he says, he he takes him by his right hand and he helps him up. Now, to understand this a little bit further... um, it's perhaps easier to understand the principle of privilege. And so the principle of privilege is an interesting concept, particularly when you apply it to economics. And so economic privilege goes a little bit like this. There's, there's four different stages to it. The first principle of privilege is a wage. Okay, And we all understand the concept of a wage, don't we? You work an hour, you get paid for that hour. Okay, That's how we, we kind of define a wage. But actually, the, in economic terms, there are things that are better than a wage. Um, the, other, the other principle is the principle of rent. And I don't mean rent as in, you know, you've got a property. You know, I've got a property somewhere taking rent off somebody. I don't, I don't mean that. But what, what I mean is, is, is that, um, that you are paid more for something 
than you were willing to do it for it in the first place. And so an extreme example. Imagine you're, uh, what's his name? He's the goal scorer yesterday, Sanchez. Is that his name? Something like that? Is that how you say it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but imagine you're him, okay? You're in Chile. You're a schoolboy. You're kicking the ball around the school playground, and a talent scout comes to your school, and he says, hey, how would you like to be paid to play football for the rest of your life? And you're quite intrigued by that, and you're like, yeah, I'd like that. And you say, well, how much would you like to be paid? And you think about it a bit, and you say, well, I'd like to be paid about £5,000 a week, if that's all right. In reality... Mr. Sanchez, when he signed for Arsenal on a four-year contract, he actually gets paid £140,000 per week. Now, when he was asked, in my theoretical world, when he was asked, he was happy to play for £5,000 per week. He now makes £135,000 more than he was willing to already play for. And so that £135,000 more is what we call rent. Okay, It's extra money on top of what you was already willing to get paid for. Okay, Does that make sense? So we have the principle of a wage. You work an hour, you get paid. You have this principle of rent that you get more than you was actually willing to actually sign up for in the beginning. But there is something better than rent. And that's royalties. Now, the idea of royalties is that you do something once and you continue to get paid for it. That sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? And so in the world of publishing, is royalties is a big deal, isn't it? You write a song, okay, which maybe took you a couple of hours. Um, so you write a song for, that took you a couple of hours. And then some famous singer hears your song and decides, I'm going to record your song. And your song goes to number one in the charts. It's, it's on every radio station. It's on every download possible. A TV advert decides to make it the backing track. If that happens to you, you're going to rake it. You're going to make millions. And that's what royalty is about. For a little bit of work, you continue to receive reward. But there is something better than royalties. And that's privilege. Privilege is getting paid for doing nothing. It's getting paid just because of who you are. It's called the Paris Hilton effect. So privilege means you receive favour advantage, money, position for something you haven't done, something you didn't earn. It might be because of the way you look. It might be the color of your skin. It might be the country that you're born in or the family that you belong to. You know, Brad and Angelina Jolie, they steal kids from all around the world, don't they? And, well, they might adopt them. 
But their kids, those kids, don't have to do anything to be privileged. We'll edit that. <laughs> we ex- privilege is a privileged position, isn't it? But the reality is, pretty much all of us in this room are in a privileged position. You know, it's easy to get green with envy, isn't it? You think, well, I'll sell for royalty. Um, uh, or I'll take some rent. But we're all in a privileged position. You know, if you um, were to go onto this website, if you as a household earn more than £32,000, you are in the top 1% of richest people in the world. That means 99% of the world is worse off than you. Now, our perception is there's a lot of better people more better off than me because we look at all the ones that have got more than us and advertisers tell us that we need more and, and all those those sorts of things. But compared to most people, right now at this time, we are more privileged than anyone else. Even if you're in the top 2%, I'll take the top 10%. <laughs> you're far more privileged. The question is, what do we do with our privilege? How do we steward the privilege that's been given to us? What did Jesus do with his privilege? Philippians 2, you don't have to turn there. Philippians 2, 5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus gave away his privilege. He stewarded stewarded his privilege. He, He spent his privilege on other people. Go back to Acts chapter 3. In verse 7 it says, Taking him by the right hand, He helped him up. Now, Peter could have given this man a handout, couldn't he? I don't think he necessarily didn't have any access to money. You know, he was was an apostle who had people laying money at his feet. Um, It wasn't as if he didn't have access to money. And so he could have given him a handout, and that would have been a worthy act of compassion. But instead, he gives him a hand up, which is more than compassion. It's an act of, an act of justice. And my notes have just gone completely. See, Peter holds out his hand to this man and he lifts him up to a place where the man could not have got himself. 
He restores his dignity. This man wasn't going to be begging in this place tomorrow. Now, if Peter had given him some money, even if he'd given him a large sum, the chances are at some point in the future this man would be back. Because that's what happens, isn't it, when we just give a hand out. You see, silver and gold would be compassion, but helping the man stand to his feet was an act of justice. So what's the difference? What's the difference between compassion and justice? They're two words we use all the time. Well, compassion is taking fresh water to a village because water has been contaminated. Justice is looking why the water is contaminated, doing something about it so that village can have fresh water again and stand on their own two feet. Does that make sense? Compassion is a handout, but justice is a hand up. Now, we want to be people who do both of those things. That we recognize that there's times where we need to show compassion, where we just have to be extravagant and compassionate towards people. But the goal is always justice. The goal is justice would be done. For the last five or so years, we've given away thousands of food parcels to people in need here in Northampton through our our work as Northampton Food Bank. And last year, uh, we touched the lives of 9,000 families and children in our town, which just seems ridiculous, doesn't it, that we could touch that many lives. That means we distributed about 65,000 items of food. And whilst we recognise that the need is great, in recent months there's also a recognition that we need to offer more than just a handout. We need to offer more than just a bag of groceries. And so we've just been beginning to dream, and particularly the team that work for Restore, beginning to dream of what would it look like for us to have a whole bunch of services that meant we could we could give people a hand up rather than just a hand out. Now, that might mean that next year we don't necessarily touch 9,000 lives. It might mean we only touch 10 or 20 or 30. See, a hand up means helping people break cycles of poverty and addiction and pain. And we, we can offer those hand up through various things like support and education and different programs that help people take that next step. And so as Restore, this charity that we, we run, is growing and developing, we recognize there's, there's a need for some transition, for, that to, for, for the Restore to become more than just a hand out for people. But there's always limited factors, isn't there? So we can dream big dreams, but there's always limits to those things. And primarily the limits for us right now are finances and, and space. For those of you who don't know, um, the third year of council funding didn't come. And so Restore, as it is right now, can function for the next 12 months. And so that's, you know, the 
paid staff and the different work that we do uh, as Restore Northampton. And at the same time, (laughs) we're kind of like falling over ourselves, trying to figure out how can we become more than what we are in this space that we've got. We just... We, we, we just can't do it. And so we're kind of in this kind of chicken, chicken and egg kind of situation, particularly because some of the things that we dream, dream about are things that funders love to give money to. And so, and so you kind of have these dreams of giving people a hand up, but there's some limiting factors along the way. And so um, there's some real challenges for us. Now, I'm not too worried about the financial challenges because if God orders the meal, I think he pays the bill. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean to say we dig our head in the sand, but if he ordered this meal, then he will pay for it. But the other limiting factor for us is space. If you've been to the offices recently, you'll know it's a little bit crowded. And... Um, on a, on a Tuesday when the food bank's open, we have over excess of 20 people every Tuesday who drop in. They're not just people there for food. They're people who are returning because they just love to be there and meet people and engage and do all sorts of things. But you'll know our little room at the hub is quite small. And so 20 rather smelly people in a small room. I don't mean that in a nasty way, but... Uh, 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 no, people who haven't washed. Is that more political? Oh, I'm going to have to edit this podcast. Um, um, but it gets, it gets a bit hard. And so we recognize that there is a need for space. So in the midst of all of this, in the midst of um, not fully knowing where funding comes from for the, for the next financial year, we have had an offer made for us. Um, and that's the offer of uh, Unit G6. So our... our our offices are down here to the left, and Unit G6 is the auction rooms. Um, sadly, the auction rooms, um, their business is not as successful as it was historically, and so they are looking to downsize. Um, and so we've had this opportunity presented to us by the landlord to uh, move into this unit. Just to kind of give you some perspective on that, if we can click, um, that's kind of what it looks like at the moment. Um, how big is it again? So yeah, so it's about three times more than what we've got now. Um, and we we kind of we had these drawings done by somebody, and uh, we also asked them just to kind of help us figure out how we could configure the space. So if we can click once, and again, <laughs> and so okay, so the first uh, we would have our own loading area, um, which meant we could solve a number of our storage issues. Um, the trailer and, and stuff from church goes back to our house at the moment. Um, so we would have lots of storage space and a place for the van. We don't have to leave the van out in the car park anymore. Okay, click. And it would give us a much bigger warehouse um, for food bank, but also just to expand services. So we're looking at things like clothes and and, and, and different things like that. And then, click. Um, and then it would give us space for a kitchen. And, and this is part of this hand-up process, that we want to take some of those people who are coming through uh, our doors and um, train them uh, with cooking skills 
uh, maybe give them qualifications um, and have a fully equipped sort of commercial-based kitchen um, that could be be used and uh, used as a training environment. And then, click. Uh, and then we would have a much larger um, drop-in space. And so that would give us room for at least 50 or 60 people. We'd like to install our own WC. If you've been to the toilet at the hub, uh, you might not want to go again. Um, you go in the men's toilet and you're not sure whether you pee in the sink or the... Uh, you know, it's a bit grim. Um, and so we'd also like to install our own shower uh, for, for people. <laughs> I won't go there. <laughs> um, okay, click. <laughs> and so this is just a dream. Okay, this is just a dream. We haven't signed anything. We haven't agreed to anything. Uh, but this is just a dream that we could use this space. We would continue to use Unit G3 as our admin base, but we would be giving up G4 if we was to move into a space like this. Okay, um, I'm not sure. Have I got another slide after that? No. Okay. Um, and so um, we've done some costings on this. At the moment, this is just a concrete shell. Um, if you go back again, sorry. Uh, this is just a concrete shell uh, for us to do all the, the work and pay tradesmen to do it. We think there's a refurbished cost of about 20000 um, which sounds an extremely expensive deal. Um, we would have to rent this for three years, um, and um, it is surprisingly cheap. The rent is about £12,000. A year. To put that in perspective, currently for G3 and G4, we pay about eight or nine thousand pounds a year. So we get considerable a lot more uh, for that. Have we got the money to do it? No. <laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> um, but we just feel that this is the Lord. We feel that the Lord has spoken. And this opportunity has come through us praying as a staff and leadership team and fasting. That was hard. Um, fasting. And this opportunity has arisen to us. And so we're just pushing some doors. And so I, I want to let you know about this. Um, nothing is going to happen immediately because these things take a long time. Um, and, and if anything, we probably wouldn't get any movement on this until the autumn. Um, but, you know, I just wanted it to put it on your radar, really, so that you knew. And so we're busy looking for funding. Um, we think we've already funded the kitchen. Is that right? Possibly. So we think we've already got the kitchen um, and, like, you know, two cookers and all the, all the stuff uh, going in there. Um, but there would be lots more work to be done. Worst case scenario, we would do it in stages, okay? So if we didn't have the full financial backing to do it, then we might just create the, the drop-in space. And then we might put a toilet in later on or something like that. Or, you know, if we didn't have the means for the kitchen, we would create the space where the kitchen would go, but it would just be an empty space. Is that clear? That's mud. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to put that on your radar because, you know, we want to be people who go beyond compassion and do justice. Okay, And we want to create environments where people can not just receive a handout, but can receive a hand up. 
And we think a space like this can facilitate some of those things happening, which we're really excited about. We shared this with some of the leaders a few weeks ago, and they were all fairly excited. Some of them even let their faces know. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we, we want to be people who really know how to do justice well. And um, so I would, just, I would just encourage you, this summer, could you pray? Um, could you pray that God would just speak to us strategically, help us figure out what we do, um, how, how we might even fund something like this, how we might you know, have the means to do something like this. Anya is busy. I wouldn't do this job for love and money. I wouldn't do Anya's job of like applying for funding. It's just a horrible, horrible job. Um, I did make the mistake of saying she deserves to get paid more. Um, um, and then I retracted that statement. Um, um, but it is a tiresome job because you have to fill in lots of paperwork. And so if anybody, anybody out there has got fundraising skills, then speak, speak to Anya as well. We would love to um, uh, engage with you on that. And so they, they take this man by the hand and he jumps to his feet and he begins to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. You see, that's what we long for, isn't it? We long for the people that we meet, not only for their lives to be restored and dignity to be restored and humanity restored, but they encounter Jesus with them. That they become worshippers of Jesus. <laughs> that they become the people that we long to see uh, become disciples and followers of him. And not only were these people amazed, but so was everyone else. Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. Wouldn't it be amazing if some of Northampton's most downtrodden, some of Northampton's most needy people could walk into a place like that and then other people noticed that guy's life has completely changed. What has happened? Someone has restored dignity to this man. How can that be so? Wouldn't it be great just to have story after story of a life transformed? That's what I signed up for. I don't know about you. Just to see people's lives and humanity come back to what it was meant to be. So shall we stand and we'll worship a little bit more? Just to share something on the back of what Steve sort of said, um, one of our other food bank distribution points was um, sharing this this week that they've had a couple of guys come, um, come along to church and um, one person came along last week when it was Pentecost and they'd got a special celebration um, and he was really downcast when he'd been in to their food bank um, point and um, just wouldn't talk to anybody um, and they just said he really sort of came alive when he came into this Pentecost service um, and they just saw, you know, God really touch his life um, and uh, I don't think they're with us today but we've had a few guys um, come along and Kay's offered them a lift and, and meals and stuff um, who've been dropping into our food bank, um, into our um, hub. And they've, it's just amazing because they've been telling everybody 
at the hub um, what our church is like and how fantastic everybody here is and how welcoming people have been. Um, and actually, they're much better evangelists than the rest of us who work there um, because we're probably a, a little bit embarrassed to try and persuade people to come to church. Um, but it's just fantastic to see you know, our dreams becoming reality um, in Restore. And we really want it to be you guys. You know, I know that most of you have jobs in the week, which means that you can't get involved in stuff day to day. But if you are around on a Tuesday, you'd be more than welcome to come and drop in and see this um, and, you know, put it into action in wherever you are. Um, also, just one of the quick thing is, um, we've got three things coming up this week, um, which we really need prayer. One is we should get an answer on this building. Um, secondly, we've got quite a bit of funding applications in where they're making decisions. Um, and then we've also got somebody making a decision over whether we get a, a free kitchen. So those are three things that you could specifically pray for for this. And don't think of it as just a few people out there doing something um, as sort of part of your church. Think of it as this, this is, you know, you can be involved through prayer, through giving, through supporting it um, and we send out a prayer newsletter as well that kind of updates you with good news stories each week so if you want to be part of that just come and talk to me um, and we'll add your name to the list as well okay so why don't we pray